Chapter 2 Dan Cahill thought he had the most annoying big sister on the planet and that was before she set fire to 2 million dollars. It all started when they went to their grandmother's funeral. Secretly, Dan was excited because he was hoping to make a rubbing of the tombstone after everyone else was gone. He figured Grace wouldn't care. She'd been a cool grandmother. Dan loved collecting things. He collected baseball, cards, autographs of famous, famous outlaws, civil war weapons, rare coins and every caste he'd ever had seen kin since kindergarten. All 12 of them. At the moment, what he liked collecting best were charcoal rubbings of tombstones. He had some awesome ones back at the apartment. His favorite read, Puella Code, 1891-1929, I'm dead, let's have a party. He figured it if he had a rubbing of Grace tombstone in his collection, maybe it wouldn't feel quite so much like she was gone forever. Anyway, the whole way from Boston to the funeral in Worcester County, his great-aunt Beatrice was driving like a very slow lunatic. She went 25 miles an hour on the highway and kept drifting across lanes. So, the other cars honked and swerved and ran into guardrails and stuff. Aunt kept clutching the wheel with her jeweled fingers. Her wrinkly face was made up with day-glow red lipstick and rogue, which made her blue hair look even bluer. Dan wondered if she gave the other drivers nightmares about old clowns. Amy! She snapped as another SUV careened down the exit ramp because Beatrice had just pulled in front of it. Stop reading in the car. It's not safe. But Aunt Beatrice... Young lady, close that book. Amy did, which was typical. She'd never put a fight with adults. Amy had long reddish-brown hair, unlike Dan's, which was dark blonde. This helped Dan pretend his sister was an alien imposter. But unfortunately, they had the same eyes, green like jade, their grandmother used to say. Amy was three years older and six inches taller than Dan, and she never let him forget it. Like being 14 was such a big deal. Usually, she wore jeans and some old t-shirt because she didn't like people noticing her. But today, she was wearing a black dress so she looked like a vampire's bride. Dan hoped her outfit was as uncomfortable as his stupid suit and tie. Aunt Beatrice had thrown a fit when he tried to go to the funeral in his ninja clothes. It wasn't as if Grace would care if he was comfortable and deadly the way he felt when he pretended to be a ninja. But of course, Aunt Beatrice didn't understand. Sometimes it was hard for him to believe she and Grace were sisters. Remind me to fire your au pair as soon as we return to Boston. Beatrice grumbled. You two have been entirely too spoiled.
अपार्टमेंट बिल्डिंग Every couple of weeks. Exactly. Exactly. Every couple of weeks, Beatrice fired their au pair and hired a new one. The only good thing was that Aunt Beatrice didn't live with them personally. She lived across town in a building that didn't allow kids. So sometimes it took her a few days to hear about Dan's latest exploits. Nellie had lasted longer than most. Dan liked her because she made amazing waffles and she usually cranked her iPod up to the brain damage level. She didn't even hear when Dan's bottle rocket collection went off and strafed the building across the alley. Dan would miss Nellie when she got fired. Aunt Beatrice kept driving and muttering about spoiled children. Aunt Beatrice kept driving and muttering about spoiled children. Amy secretly went back to her huge book. The last two days, since they got the news about Grace's death, Amy had been reading even more than usual. Dan knew it was her way of hiding, but he kind of resented it because it shut him out too. What are you reading this? What are you reading this time? He asked. Medieval European doorknobs. Bath towels through the ages. Amy gave him an ugly face, or an uglier than usual face. You can't call it. एक मिनट ये पूरा लाइन मेरा है मेडिवल यूरोपियन डोर नॉब्स बात टावर्स थ्रू दी एजेस क्वेश्चन मार्क ये ये बोल रहा है रैयान बोल रहा है को हां रैयान नहीं बोला वो रुक जा इसको थोड़ा पॉज करते हैं अभी नहीं अरे ये ये देखो रैयान What are you reading this time? What are you reading this time? He asked. Bad towers through the ages. क्या दिखना रहा तुझे? अरे वो क्या लिखा है बहुत ज़्यादा बड़ा वो. Medieval, medieval European doorknobs. Medieval. रुक अब ये वापस एक साथ पूरा कर. Start. What are you reading this time? He asked. Medieval European doorknobs. Bad towers through the ages. Amy gave him an ugly face, or an ugly face than usual. None of your business, dweeb. You can't call a ninja lord dweeb. You have disgraced the family. You must commit sip sipuku. 
Amy rolled her eyes. After a few more miles, the city melted into farmland. It started to look like grey's country, and even though Dan had promised himself he wouldn't get sappy, he began to feel sad. Grace had been the coolest ever. She treated him and Amy like real people, not kids. That's why she'd insisted they simply call her Grace, not grandmother or gran or nana or any silly name like that. She'd been one of the only people who'd ever cared about them. Now she was dead and they had to go to the funeral and see a bunch of relatives who had never been nice to them. The family cemetery sat at the bottom of the hill from the mansion. Dan thought it was kind of stupid they'd hired a hearse to carry Grace a hundred yards down the driveway. They could have put wheels on the coffin like they have on suitcases and that would have worked just as well. Summer storm clouds rumbled overhead. The family mansion looked dark and gloomy on its hill like a lord's castle. Dan loved the place. With its billion rooms and chimneys and stained glass windows, he loved the family graveyard even more. A dozen crumbling stone stones spread out across a green meadow ringed in trees right next to a little creek. Some of the stones were so old, the writing had faded away. Grace used to take Amy and him down to the meadow on their weekend visits. Grace and Amy would spend the afternoon on a picnic blanket reading and talking while Dan explored the graves and the woods and the creek. Stop that, Dan told himself. You're getting sentimental. So many people, Annie murmured as they walked down the driveway. You're not going to freak out, are you? Amy fiddled with the collar of her dress. You're not going to freak out, are you? Amy fiddled with the collar of her dress. I'm, I'm not freaking out. I just... You hate crowds, he finished. But, but you knew that there, there, there be a crowd. They come every year. Each winter, as long as Dan could remember, Grace had invited relatives from all over the world for a week-long holiday. The mansion filled up with Chinese Cahills and British Cahills and South African Cahills and Venezuelan Cahills. Most of them didn't even go by the name Cahill. But Grace assured him they were all related. She'd explain how about cousins and second cousins and cousins three times removed until Dan's brain started to hurt. Amy would usually go hide in the library with the cat. I know, she said. But, I mean, look at them all. She had a point. About 400 people were gathering at the gravesite. They just want They just want her fortune. Danny decided. Dan decided. They just want her fortune. Dan decided. Dan Well, it's true. 
They had just joined the procession when Dan suddenly got flipped upside down. Hey! He yelled. Look, guys, a girl said. We caught a rat. Dan wasn't in a good position to see, but he could make out the whole sisters, Madison and Regan, standing on either side of him, holding him by his ankles. The twins had matching purple running suits, blonde pigtails and crooked smiles. They were only 11, same as Dan, but they had no trouble holding him. Dan saw more purple running suits, suits behind them. The rest of the whole family, their pit bull, their pit bull 14, Arnold, raced around their legs and barked. Let's fling him into the creek, Madison said. I want to fling him into the bushes, Regan said. We never do my ideas. Their older brother, Hamilton, laughed like an idiot. Next to him, their dad, Eisenhower Holt, and their mom, Mary Todd, grinned like this was all good fun. Now, girls, Eisenhower said, we can't go flinging people at a funeral. This is a happy occasion. Emmy, Dan called. A little help here. Her face. Her face had gone pale. She mumbled, "Drop." Dan. Dan sighed in exasperation. She's trying to say, "Drop me." Madison and Regan did on his head. Oh, Danny said. Dan said, Madison, Ami protested. Yes, Madison mimicked. I think all those books are turning your brain to mush, weirdo. If it had been anybody else, Dan would have hit back, but he knew better with the holes. Even Madison and Regan, the youngest, could cream him. The whole whole family was way too buff. They had meaty hands and thick necks and faces that looked like G.I. G.I. Joe figures. Even the mom looked like she should be shaving and chewing on her cigar. I hope you losers took a good look. Last look around the house, Madison said. You're not going to be invited back here anymore now that the old witch is dead. Roof, said Arnold the Pitbull. Dan looked around for Beatrice, but as usual, she wasn't anywhere near them. She drifted off to talk to the other old people. Grace wasn't a witch, Dan said, and we are going to in, in hurt this mm -hmm. place. Inherit. Inherit, yeah. 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 Yeah.
Grace wasn't a witch, Dan said, and we are going to inherit. 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 Okay. इसको अलग अलग करना inherit. ठीक है फिर से. Grace wasn't a witch, Dan said, and we are going to inherit this place. The big brother Hamilton laughed. Yeah, right. His hair was combed toward the middle, so it stuck up like a shark fin. Wait till they read the will, Rand. I'm gonna kick you out of out myself. All right, team. The dad said. Enough of this formation. The family lined up and started jogging toward the grave site, knocking other relatives out of the way as Arnold snapped at everyone's heels. Is your head okay? Amy asked guiltily. Dan nodded. He was a little annoyed Amy hadn't helped him, but there was no point complaining about it. She always got tongue-tied around other people. Man, I hate the hole. Halt. Halt. Man, I hate the halt. We've got worse problems. Amy pointed toward the grave site and Dan's heart sank. The, co- the cobras, he muttered. The cobras. The cobras, he muttered. Ian and Natalie Cabra were standing by Grace's coffin, looking like perfect little angels as they talked to the preacher. They wore matching designer morning outfits that complemented their silky black hair and cinnamon-colored skin. They could have been child supermodels. They won't try anything during the funeral, Dan said hopefully. They're just here for grace, grace money like the rest of them. But they won't get it. Amy frowned. Dan, did you really believe what you said about us inheriting the mansion? Of course. You know Grace liked us best when, when we spent more time with her than anybody. Amy sighed like Dan was too young to understand which Dan hated. Come on, she said. We might as well get this over with. And together, they waded into the crowd. The funeral was a blur to Dan. The minister said some stuff about ashes. They lowered the coffin into the ground. Everybody tossed in a shovel full of death. Dan thought the mourners... Okay. The funeral was a blur to Dad. The minister said some stuff about ashes. They lowered the coffin into the ground. Everybody tossed in a shovel full of dirt. Dan thought the mourners enjoyed this part too much, especially Ian and Natalie. He recognized a few more relatives. Alistair O, oh, the old Korean dude with the diamond-tipped walking stick 
who always insisted they call him uncle. The Russian lady, Irina Spassky, who had a twitch in one eye, so everybody called her Spaz behind her back. The Starling triplets, Ned, Ted and Sinead, who looked like part of a cloned Ivy League lacrosse team. Even that kid from television was there. Jonah Wizard. He stood to one side, getting his pictures taken with a bunch of girls and there was a line of people waiting to talk to him. He was dressed just like on TV, with lots of silver chains and bracelets, ripped jeans and a black muscle shirt, which was kind of stupid since he didn't have any muscles. An older African-American guy in a business suit stood behind him, punching notes in a blackberry. Probably Jonah's dad. Dad had heard that Jonah Wizard was related to the Cahills, but he'd never seen him in person before. He wondered if he should get an autograph for his collection. After the service, a guy in a charcoal suit, grey suit, stepped to the podium. He looked vaguely similar to Dan. The man had a long pointed nose and a balding head. He reminded Dan of a vulture. Thank you all for coming, he said gravely. I am William McIntyre, Madam Cahill's lawyer and executor. Executor? Dan whispered to Amy. He killed her? No, you idiot, Amy whispered back. That means he is in charge of her will. If you will look inside your programs, William McIntyre continued, some of you will find a gold invitation card. Exciting murmuring broke out as 400 people leafed through the programs. Then most of them cursed and shouted complaints when they found nothing. Dan ripped through his program. Inside was a card with a gold leafed border. It read, it It read Inside was a card with a gold leafed border. It read Dan and Amy Cahill are Yerba invited to the reading of the last will and testament of Grace Cahill, where the Great Hall Cahill Manor when now. I knew it, Dan said. I assure you, Mr. McIntyre said, raising his voice above the crowd. The invitations were not done randomly. I apologize to those of who, of you who were excluded. Grace Cahill meant you no disrespect. Of all the members of the Cahill clan, only a few were chosen as the most likely. The crowd started yelling and arguing. Finally, Dan couldn't stand it anymore. He called out. Most likely to what? In your in your case, Dan, Ian Cabra muttered right behind him. To be a stupid American git, his sister Natalie giggled. She was holding an invitation and looking very pleased with herself. Before Dan could kick Ian in a soft spot, the grey-suited man answered. To be the beneficiaries. <coughs> <coughs> oh.
फोन आया था रिकॉर्डिंग चालू हाँ बाय टू बी द बेनिफिशरीज ऑफ ग्रेस काहिल्स विल नाउ इफ यू प्लीज दोज विद इन्विटेशन विल गैदर इन द ग्रेट हॉल पीपल विथ इन्विटेशन हरी टूअर्ड द हाउस लाइक समबडी हैड जस्ट yelled free food natalie cabra winked at dand ciao cousin must run collect your fortune then she and her brother strolled up the drive forget them ami said dan maybe you're right maybe we'll inherit something but dan frowned if this invitation was such a great thing why did the lawyer guy look so grim and why had grace included the cabras As he passed through the main entrance of the mansion, Dan glanced up at the stone stone crest above the door. A large sea surrounded by four smaller designs: a dragon, a bear, a wolf, and two snakes entwined around a sword. The crest had always fascinated Dan, though he didn't know what it meant. All the animals seemed to glare at him, like they were about to strike. He followed the crowd inside wondering why those animals were so mad. The great hall was as big as a basketball court with tons of armor and swords lining the walls and huge windows that looked like Batman could crash through them any minute. William McIntyre stood at a table in front with a projector screen behind him while everybody else filed filled into rows of seats. There were about 40 people in all including the Holts and the Cabras and Aunt Beatrice who looked completely disgusted to be there or maybe she was just disgusted that everybody else had been invited to her sister's will reading Mr McIntyre raised his hand for quiet he slipped a document from a brown leather folder adjusted his bifocals and began to read I Grace Cahill being of sound mind and body do hereby divide my entire estate among those who accept the challenge of and those who do not whoa eisenhower holt interrupted what challenge what she mean i am getting to that sir mr mcintyre cleared his throat and continued you have been chosen as the most likely to succeed in the greatest most perilous undertaking of all time a quest of vital importance to the kahil family and the world at large 40 people started ta- talking at once asking questions and demanding answers perilous undertaking cousin ingrid shouted what is she talking about i thought this was about money Uncle Jose yelled, "A quest? Who does she thinks we are? We are Cahills, not adventurers." Dan noticed Ian and Natalie Cabra exchange a meaningful look. 
Irina Spassky whispered something in Alistair Ho's ear, but most of the other spectators looked as confused as Dan felt. Ladies and gentlemen, please, Mr. McIntyre said, if you will direct your attention to the screen, perhaps Madam Cahill can explain things better than I. Dan's heart did a flip-flop. What was Mr. McIntyre talking about? Then a projector on the hummed, projector on the ceiling hummed to life. The shouting in the room died down as Grace's image flickered on the screen. She was sitting up in bed with Saladin on her lap. She wore a black dressing gown, like she was a mourner at her own funeral. But she looked healthier than the last time Dan had seen her. Her complexion was pink. Her face and hands didn't look as thin. The video must have been made months ago, before her cancer got bad. Dan got a lump in his throat. He had an, a crazy urge to call her. Grace, it's me, it's Dan. But of course, it was just an image. He looked at Amy and saw a tear trickling down the base of her nose. Fellow Cahills, Grace said. If you are watching this, it means I'm dead and I have decided to use an alternate will. No doubt you are arguing amongst yourselves and giving poor Mr. McIntyre a hard time about this contest. I have instituted. Grace gave the camera a dry smile. You always were a stubborn bunch. For once, close your mouths and listen. Hey, wait a minute. Eisenhower Holt protested, but his wife shushed him. I assure you, Grace continued, this contest is. I assure you, Grace continued, this contest is no trick. It is deadly serious business. Most of you know you belong to the Cahill family, but many of you may not realize just how important our family is. I tell you, the Cahills have had a greater impact on human civilization than any other family in history. Most confused shouting broke out. More confused shouting broke out. Irina Spaxi stood up and yelled, Silence! I wish to hear! My relatives, Grace's image said, you stand on the brink of our greatest challenge. Each of you has the potential to succeed. Some of you may decide to form a team with other people in this room to pursue the challenge. Some of you may prefer to take the challenge alone. Most of you, I'm afraid, will decline the challenge and run away with your tails behind your legs. Only one team will succeed and each of you must sacrifice a share of the inheritance to participate. She held up a manila envelope sealed with red wax. Her eyes were as bright and hard as steel. If you accept, you shall be given the first of 39 clues. These clues will lead you to a secret, which, should you find it, will make you the most powerful, influential beings on the planet. You will realize the destiny of the Cahill family. I now beg you all to listen to Mr. McIntyre, allow him to explain the rules. Think long and hard before you make your choice. She stared straight into the camera 
and Dan wanted her to say something special to them. Dan and Amy, I'll miss you most of all. Nobody else in this room really matters to me. Something like that. Instead, Grace said, I'm counting on you all. Good luck and goodbye. The screen went dark. Amy gripped Dan's hand. Her fingers were trembling. To Dan, it felt like they just lost Grace all over again. Then everyone around them started talking at once. Greatest family in history, Cousin Ingrid yelled. Is she crazy? Stubborn, Eisenhower Holt shouted. She called us stubborn? William, Alistair, whose voice rose above the rest, just a moment. There are people here I don't even recognize. People who may not even be members of the family. How do we know? If you are in this room, sir, Mr. McIntyre said, you are a Cahill. Whether your surname is Cahill or not doesn't matter. Even here, everyone here has Cahill blood. Even you, Mr. Mc, uh, even you, Mr. McIntyre, Natalie Cabra asked in her silky British accent. The old lawyer flushed. That miss is beside the point now. If I might be allowed to finish. Aunt pediatrics are you? No, no. It's the old lawyer only. That miss is beside the point. That miss is beside the point. Full stop है उधर. उसके बाद now जो है वो next line में हाँ. That miss is beside the point. Now, if I might be allowed to finish. But what's this about sacrificing our inheritance? Aunt Beatrice complained. Where's the money? It's just like my sister to come up with some foolishness. Madam, Mr. McIntyre said, you may certainly decline the challenge. If you do, you will receive what is under your chair. Immediately, 40 people felt around under their chairs. Eisenhower Holt was so anxious, he picked up Regan's chair with her, with her still in it. Dan discovered an envelope under his, stuck on with tape. When he opened it, he found a green slip of paper with a bunch of numbers and the words Royal Bank of Scotland. Amy had one too. So did everybody in the room. What you now hold is a bank voucher, Mr. McIntyre explained. It shall only be activated if and when you renounce or renounce your claim to the challenge. If you so choose, each of you may walk out of this room with $1 million and never have to think of Grace Cahill or her last wishes again. Or you may choose a clue, a single clue that will be your only inheritance. No money, no property, just a clue that might lead you to the most important treasure in the world and make you powerful beyond belief. William's grey eyes seemed to settle on Dan particularly. Or it might kill you. One million dollars or the clue. You have five minutes to decide. Chula, let's go.
अकलू 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 पे दे मैंने बोलता तो वन मिलियन डॉलर्स नहीं 